0: I want to be clear here. I am excited about every single podcast episode I do. But I'm also going to be honest. Um, Some are better than others. I, I'm sure <laughs> y'all will testify. Uh, this is going to be one of those ones where you're like, oh, I'm marking this one. I'm going to bookmark it. I'm not quite sure if Substack can bookmark things. But I'm, you know, you're you're savvy, you're you're subscribed to a subscription based sent to your email newsletter slash podcast, you know what's going on. Welcome to Sick Palate Podcast. I'm Deepa Shreeder, and uh, today we're going to be um, not doing a wine review, but this is going to be another interview podcast. The interview itself, I think about it still every day. This is this is how amazing this person is. So um, I got to interview one of my personally one of my favorite people, um, and she really she really just brought it. I interviewed uh, Sharon Mays of Baby Greens, um, which if you're not in Austin, obviously if you're you're in Austin, you don't really need more description than that. But if you're not in Austin, which a lot of our subscribers are not in Austin, um, how many times can I say not in Austin? Um, She is the founder and creator um, of Baby Greens, which is a local, healthy, fast food, uh, soon to be... I I always think of it already as a franchise and I know I don't know if that's <laughs> what she wants me to say about it. Uh, but it is an incredible uh fast food salad restaurant. And uh, she she essentially started it in 2004 um and it's gone through a few transformations. Um they've recently moved out of their longtime spot um into into a new area where they're able to even distribute more food. Um, but it's delicious salads. Everything is made in-house, scratch. Um, and she's, she's basically building herself an actually healthy, um, responsible fast food empire. And she's got a lot of amazing plans um, that she slightly touches upon. In the interview, um, but this is a woman that is just ahead of the game. Uh, she is also the chair of the Austin Travis County Food Policy Board. I did not know this actually. Um, and she basically led a group that wrote a new food permit that helps nonprofits distribute food in the Austin area. Um, it took two years uh to get this done. Um and, uh, you know, it came in a really timely manner because uh, I don't know if you guys were aware, but we went through a pandemic and um, half of all of this work was happening during the pandemic. So she is about the message um, and is is somebody in Austin that is constantly uh, trying to shake things up and make things uh, look a little different for the better. Um, yeah, but... But really, let's, let's get to the interview um, ASAP. And I, uh, I want to end with the interview um, because there's just so much there. I don't want you to hear me uh, try to do housekeeping after that. So um, follow at Sick Palette on IG. Um, and, you know, uh, for, for everybody who, who asked me in my life, how do we support you? You run a free supper club. Well, price is a bottle of wine. Uh, you know, you're doing all of this, these podcasts and you've got newsletters. Well, you can actually subscribe to the newsletter um, for $30 a year. You will get all of the archives of um, past newsletters. We are going to start having um, paid subscription only podcast episodes coming up and we've got two new sub newsletters coming up so um if you haven't already just check it out and see see if uh if if any of that interests you she's not in front of me I'm just so nervous to introduce my friend because (laughs) she's legitimately awesome um okay so let's just get to it and um I'll see y'all next week we're talking about innovation and you are the perfect person to talk about this particular topic. So I wanted to start first things first, specifically what drives you? What are your motivations um, for being an innovator?
1: Well, I think that for me, I don't necessarily, I'm not bound to the way things have always been, which Mm -hmm. is actually, it's kind of ironic because I toggle between being a serious rule follower and then also a serious rule questioner. So (laughs) (laughs) for me, some things, you know, I think like we all view the world through our own lens, right? So there are times when. Innovation for me comes from looking at a situation and just saying, well, that doesn't make any sense, or there's something that I want, and it's not there, and I'm super impatient, so if no one's going to do this, then okay, fine, I'll just do it because I want to have this thing. There's a part of it that kind of comes from that, but I also just... I always say that I'm a glutton for life. I'm just down for whatever kind of wild and weird things that life has to throw at me. And so I love innovation because a big part of innovation is going down a new road. And it can be, you know, intense and scary, but it's also just like you're going to see some shit that you won't see until you go down that road for the first time. And I'm here for it. You know, I feel like I want to experience life. And that to me, innovation is a part of just being open to new experiences.
0: Yeah. I, I also feel like, you know, you are probably already preset to, to always go down the road, less followed um, just knowing who you are personally. But I, I think one of the things that I find really interesting about being in this food game and not being essentially a, a white man is is that innovation is is almost a necessity, at least.
1: Absolutely.
0: That's, that's kind of how I've been playing the game. And so I really wanted to talk to you also about that whole idea of marrying innovation with necessity. And, you know, you have these incredible things that you've already done, and you have so much ambition still, you know, innovation almost seems like it's a necessity. Um, how, how did you find yourself within the food industry? You know, talk about like those first few years, you, you, you were kind of um, getting acquainted with it.
1: Well, so when I started Baby Greens, um, when I had the idea for this restaurant, I had never really worked in food service before. Mm -hmm. So I I mean, I think I did like a four, six month stint at Starbucks, that was it, but I had never been a server before. And so I worked at at, uh, Chipotle for a year and, and tried to absorb as much as I could. But then when I started the restaurant, I was very much on my own at that time because even just in my friend circle, not only did I not really know anyone who worked at a restaurant, I didn't really know anyone who was an entrepreneur. I mean, this mm-hmm. is, you know, to date myself here, this is in the early aughts. And so it just like side hustle wasn't a thing. I come from a generation like Gen X, you know, we were all told like, oh, work somewhere for 20 years and then start your own thing, which is yeah. a seriously stupid idea. <laughs> um, and so, I mean, seriously, because... Here's the thing about starting a business. You should start a business when you don't mind eating ramen because guess what you're going to eat a lot of ramen. (laughs) And, you know, so it's probably better that you have only your own mouth and maybe a pet to feed Mm -hmm. when you do this because it doesn't make sense. So when I started Baby Greens, there were so many things that were just kind of, you know, I had to, I was really on my own. So a part of innovation was just, I didn't know how to do stuff, and I always tell the story of the loop, and a loop is what is a piece of equipment that gets buried under a drive-thru, so when you pull up to a drive-thru window, it's Mm -hmm. what alerts the people inside that someone is there, but I didn't know what that thing was called, and for two years, I did not have anyone to ask. Anytime I went through a drive through I'd be like, hey, what's that thing? How does that thing go off? And of course, it they are looking at me like I'm insane. And I just, and so I rigged so many different ways to make it work because I didn't know, I didn't know what the word was. I didn't know how to get it. And it was just like, you can't Google talk at menu board and get anything substantial. And literally I was, uh, I think I was in a conversation and someone said the word loop. And I mean, I turned around so fast. I was like, what does that word mean? And then they talk. I mean, you want to talk about? I like flew out of my seat to go Google Austin Loop install. And I mean, so there was a big part of when I first started at Baby Greens, I just didn't know what I didn't know. And so there were things that I could figure out, and and just kind of came together. But then there were things that just, I didn't know what the words were. I didn't know how to make it work. And so I had to just create it. And so I spent a lot of my first few years just wondering, am I doing this right? I'm, I'm making decisions in a bubble, which is not typically a good idea. And you know, your employee, at least my employees weren't going to say to my face, like, that doesn't work. They probably sit up behind my back, but, you know, no <laughs> one would say it to my face. And so I spent a lot of time walking around just like, God, I hope this is, I hope this is the right way to do it. And then I just kind of got to a point to say, this is the way I'm doing it. And if it's a way, then, oh, well, I mean, there's more than one way to win the war. So this is how we're doing it until I can figure out a better way to do it. And so the thing about baby greens, when I first opened um, you know, when I first had the idea for baby greens, the funny part of it is, is that this was before food trucks were a thing. And I remember yeah, telling wow. to that- couldn't find a. I I wanted it to be drive-through only. It was very important to me that we were drive-through only because I wanted to only serve salads. And you know, marketing is my background. So from a marketing slash buyer behavior perspective, most people dine in pairs so the idea that i could find two people who both only wanted a salad was definitely a very small pool of customers which is why most sit down salad restaurants have like sandwiches potatoes you know pasta blah 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 i didn't Mm -hmm. want to do any of that stuff because i wanted it to be affordable to a fast food customer so it was very important that we be drive-through only so that people could come solo and get what they wanted. And so I couldn't find a building. And so I remember telling my best friend, I told him, I said, you know what, I'm thinking about getting like, they weren't called food trucks, they were called taco trucks. I'm going to get like one of those taco trucks, and I'm going to paint it green, and I'm going to put vegetables on top of it. And I'm going to drive it around and sell salads. And this was the point at which like, everyone was tired of my nonsense and <laughs> just looked at me like you are fucking insane i mean the idea he's no one's gonna buy a salad out of a moving vehicle like, you're so ahead of your time I, even yeah like, but i'm like this will be i'm like this will be so hilarious it'll be so funny i mean like the ice cream man but with salads and yeah. it was just and everyone was just like, okay, too far, you know, like this has gone too far. And so it was just kind of this thing of saying like, how do I get this to the people that I want to get it to? And so mm-hmm. once we opened up the end of my first year, our, our sales year over year for like the first three to four years, the, the smallest sale increase that I had was 85%. And so, I mean, you're talking about literally coming into work one day and all the systems I had in place no longer worked because we had just moved into the next category. And so I had to learn very quickly how to adjust a moving vehicle and just be like, this thing is in motion. And, you know, I have to change the way we order. Like in the very beginning, we hand wrote tickets, which is so insane to me. Mm -hmm. Um, But we would hand write tickets and just so, a part of that innovation does come from necessity of just saying, there was no model for me to to fashion my idea after i had nothing and so it was very frustrating but it was also very much like well i can do whatever i want because no one's doing this so it's not like anything i'm doing is quote unquote wrong because no one is doing this yet and if it works it works if it doesn't then we'll just figure something else out and so kind of really that the opening of baby greens was really the thing that helped me just pull up anchor from saying this is a traditional way to get stuff done I mean that just it kind of broke me of that mold I was already halfway there I mean anyone who knows mm-hmm. me would not be surprised about that at all even when I was a little kid you know when I was a little girl I did not play with dolls and stuff like that I always thought that was weird <laughs> play grown-up when we're like being a grown-up sucks look at this mom and dad look awful I don't want I want to play I don't want to play mom and dad you might have been the only kid with this foresight like I was like like, why does everyone see what's happening like why do we want to I don't want to do that yet that looks terrible I want to go my own science experiment. And so I kind of was always a kid that was just kind of doing their own thing. And so when I started Baby Greens and really, you know, things just started taking off, it kind of shook me out of that. Well, what is everyone else doing? You know, and and there's a part of me even now that I'm, you know, I am that business nerd that's always reading business books Mm -hmm. and blogs and magazines just to say, you know, what's happening in the industry. But more often than not, I'm just like, well, that doesn't really make sense for my brand or where I think things are going. So I'm going to go this other way. And if no one else, when I, I used to work in the music industry, when I left the music industry, I did not know where I was going to go. And I remember Mm -hmm. having that kind of watershed moment of when I left and it was very terrible. And I had been passed over, like all the things that you think, like a black woman who works in the music industry in Texas. Like I just got, Mm -hmm. and so I just had that moment where I was like, they're never gonna pick you. It's time to let go. And I remember just thinking, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I believe in Sharon Mays. And if I'm the only one that believes that just has to be enough because we're leaving and If I'm the only one that thinks that I'm smart and that I know what I'm doing, then that just has to be enough. And so I've kind of, as I've moved through my career, that part, there are definitely times where, you know, it's always great when you have people who, you know, love what you do, love your product or that connect with you. But then there are definitely also times when I'm just kind of standing on my own being like, I don't know this seems like no one else wants to do this thing or whatever it is. And I just have to kind of always come back to that moment to say, if I'm the only one that believes in it, then that that's okay. That's enough. You know, there is
0: so much of that um, through line in your story that I, I find, uh, you know, we, we came into this industry in, in two very different ways, which I'm also very excited to talk about. But what I think is the through line of being, um, in a marginalized community and wanting to, you know, be the the head of something in an industry that is, that is not very welcome to that is that you do have to be enough for yourself because, um, you know, especially when you're talking about that loop, like you had no mentor to be like, Hey, Sharon, that's called a loop. And that would have right. saved you, you know, it would have saved you a second. Seriously? Yeah, absolutely. And I think about that all those times. The, the the very hard lessons I've learned that in hindsight are very simple, are very rudimentary. And I think to myself, now, if I had that that group of, of women that have done it before me, so that way I could be like, hey, so-and-so, when you were doing this, how did you do it? And, you know, that, that is why I feel, um, we just have such a longer road ahead of us and a twistier, naughtier road, because, um, we are the ones that are kind of sort of like taking the shrubs off of the road and being like, well, how did you get there? You know, we, there's so many ways, um, that there are barriers, but what I do find, um so interesting about your story is you were learning lessons so much quicker um, than most people I know having to do it on your own. like I really want to get into as soon as we can um, the idea that you brought up in in the email thread that we had going of being an entrepreneur in the food industry rather than working you know within the system um, and becoming an executive chef and and the very specific barriers you have um, to do it that way. So I would love for you to to speak more about that.
1: Absolutely. And I, I want to wrap up on one thing you said about, you know, how it's a longer, naughtier road. Mm-hmm. It's so funny. I had a friend of mine that said, Sharon, I swear you always do things the hardest way. And it was oh, wow. kind of that moment. And I was like, well, we can't all be white men, you know? <laughs> Hey, dude, you know what? Like, and he looked and I said, who is out here helping me? Like, Absolutely. do you think I like this? Yes. This is what happens when you are doing it on your own. Trust yes. me, I would love for someone to be like, hey, psst, over <laughs> here. No one has ever said that shit to me ever in my life. And so, you know, I, I was talking with a girlfriend about imposter syndrome and I said, you know, I, a hundred percent imposter believe imposter syndrome is a real thing. And yeah. she said, Do you feel like you ever suffer from that? And I said, absolutely not. And she said, why? I said, cause I've had to kick down every door I walked through and it would never occur to me that I don't belong there because I had to force my way in. I said, so there is a hundred percent imposter syndrome, but there's also a thing of saying like, you know, people be like, Oh, you know, you're so confident. It's like, yeah, I had to be, Wow! I have wow. to be the one to believe in me because the invitations weren't pouring in, you know, when I was first starting out. So I had yeah. to be like, you know, I'm such a badass. How could you not have me here? Absolutely. You know? Which thankfully so, your case uh, was true. So, I mean, that's just like, that was, the, that was a path I, I took. And so when you talk about, you know, the road to becoming, you know, uh, a restaurateur, and -hmm. working in the food industry. And, you know, even when I had when I had the idea for baby greens, 100%, I couldn't even really cook at that point. (laughs) Like I knew I wanted that, but I I was still not very. I, I taught myself how to cook. Which mm-hmm. the irony of that is that my father was an amazing cook, but of course when he wanted to teach me how to cook when I was a teenager, I'm like, mm, I'm not interested, <laughs> um, because yeah, I was a jerk. Uh, so you were a teenager. You know, <laughs> I was a teenager so. Yes. And I, in all honesty, my dad kind of wrapped it in like, oh, what are you going to make for your husband? I was like, oh, oh. no, sir. that's not, no, 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 no. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so when I, you know, decided that I really wanted to do this, I immediately started looking It's like, well, maybe I should go to culinary school, like, I don't know how to do any of this stuff and all the culinary programs I looked at, like I just wanted to do salads. I didn't want to learn how to be a baker and do all this stuff. And just, mm-hmm. so in the end, I just say, you know, I'm going to teach myself and I'm just going to, you know, learning is just reading and practicing. I can read and practice on my own. So I'm just going to read and practice and watch videos mm-hmm. and, you know, figure it out. And so um, and that's what I did. And so there was a part of it of coming into coming into the food industry very much an outsider. So, you know, I always believe there's pluses and minuses in every situation. So in that particular situation, you know, the plus is I'm not necessarily rooted in a lot of tradition that, you know, as we're seeing now with this pandemic, there are a lot of things that's happened in the restaurant industry that just flat out doesn't Work and just because that's the way it's always been, and that's the way I was taught, and my boss taught me, and blah blah blah, everyone taught you know, and so I didn't come in with that education. Um, I just came in as a person who was an entrepreneur and I had an idea. And you know, the minus of that was also that I didn't have that education, so you know, to not know how to really do things properly and have to figure them out on my own because I didn't have a mentor. And so I really feel like though, you know, because of not only the type of restaurant that Baby Greens is, but just the reason why I created Baby Greens. I created Baby Greens because especially at the time in which this is happening that, you know, healthy food and absolutely vegetarian food was not something that was happening in a fast food space, not even a little bit. And so to come at it from a person who has like a marketing and business background of saying that, you know, yes, I need to learn how to make this food. And it's very important to me that it tastes good and all that, but just to also understand the brand that I created, I created a brand that happens to be a restaurant, I didn't create a restaurant and then turn it into a brand, I created a brand. And so and that's a a real different situation. And so when we talk about things like innovation, and and what the path looks like, it's very different. Also, just because I came at it in a different way. And um, to look at it saying like, there's a a huge hole in the marketplace. No one is serving this particular customer. Um, I think that if someone offered them something, they would say yes. And Mm -hmm. so I think coming at it from that perspective, I just feel like More often than not, I have a different viewpoint because, you know, I work in fast food, fast casual, but also just because, you know, for better or worse, my start was different and even my perspective of it. It was different when we opened up, you know, there were things that, you know, I told the staff and I even, I just told one of my employees this earlier, I said, this is one of my mantras. A Big Mac is a Big Mac is a Big Mac. And the reason I say that is because the thing that makes fast food work is consistency. I mean, yes. this is when you want to get down into the weeds of you know, the difference of this restaurant is that the interesting thing about fast food is that the reason people buy fast food is not primarily because of the taste. I mean, you look around the fast food brands and not be shocked by that information, right? right? So yeah. People go there because they know what they're going to get. You could go to a hundred different McDonald's order a Big Mac and line them all up and you would not be able to tell the difference between Mm -hmm. any of them and that's what people are looking for and so for me it's like you come into this situation and say I created Baby Greens to be a fast food brand because I want to get that fast food customer I want people who are fast food customers to see us as an option. So that means that we have to walk and talk in many ways, like a fast food customer, like a fast food brand. And Mm -hmm. so it's definitely one of those things of just saying like, How do we do that when consistency is a really big thing and, you know, we definitely bring a lot to the party. We have this beautiful food. It tastes really good. It's fresh. We have, you know, options for meat eaters, vegetarians, and Mm -hmm. vegans, like we're definitely doing different things, but at the end of the day... It is a fast food restaurant. And I'm very attached to that. People, when we first opened, people said, oh, Baby Greens isn't really a fast food restaurant. I said, it absolutely is a fast food restaurant. And and people would always look at me like, ew, because of course, you know, like that was you a, a slur. Yeah, jack, like, ew, fast food. But you know what? Fast food is the largest away from home dining category. Back in, I mean, this has probably changed now with the pandemic. Pre-pandemic, mm-hmm. of the American population eats fast food every single day. So so, yeah, that's a lot of people. And so, you know, to create, to come into that marketplace. And so that's the way my brain is always thinking about things. Like I'm always thinking about, like, I want to have very yummy food at baby greens. I want to look good, but I'm also just like my brain is always thinking on the level of, from a business perspective of my category, how do we, Play in this space, and how do we win?
0: You hit the nail on the head. I mean, as soon as you said, "I'm, I'm a brand," first, you know, um, that 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 really it, it gave me a little bit of goosebumps because this is something that you are not taught in the restaurant industry. The greatest con um, that I think the restaurant industry will feed its workers and the people that they do see that they have a little bit of ambition is that you can only do it through that system. And that's, that's all fine and well and good. If you look like the rest of the industry um, because quote unquote, then you're an authority figure. Um, But one of the things um, that was really difficult is you know, before I started my own supper club, that was also started out of necessity because I realized um, that I was being fed this dream of, yeah, we'll open a, an Indian restaurant together. Um, we'll, you know, you'll be executive chef, but it would never really be yours because right. branding is far more important than the actual physicality of that restaurant. And if you don't have that training, which I certainly didn't, um, but you did, then you are like, I mean, when you're, when you're talking to me about the ways you thought about building your business, as opposed to the way, um, I did because I came from within that industry. I mean, you, you were centuries ahead of me. Like I totally am now about the brand before anything else, but that was a long, hard road. And I, I, Really, I'm so excited for you to become this, you know, figure for for other women, especially black women uh, who want to be in this food industry, this very challenging industry and be able to have some sort of through line, some sort of roadmap here. Um yeah, it's just it's to me. I'm just sort of like I, I know I didn't give you any question to volley right now. I'm just sort of like basking in the idea of like I'm I'm feeling the change as we're talking. Do you know what I'm saying here? Like absolutely.
1: And I will say that was to me that was the one kind of glimmer of hope that I held mm-hmm. on to when the pandemic started was that you know to be where I'm at and. You know, as I said, I'm looking at this situation through my lens, and so, to me, there's so many things. I'm like, why can't any, why can't other people see this? And yeah. so, the pandemic came along. At least initially, everyone. Got cut off at the knees. And so I was Mm -hmm. like, okay, everyone's going to be pulled down to the same level. And that means there will be an opportunity for change. And I think that whole part of, you know, thinking about your, your restaurant, your brand, yourself, like really thinking about it that way. I agree with you. You know, when we talk about how the restaurant industry has been developed and and, and how people of of all gender and ethnicity come up, mm-hmm. it's it's definitely, when you take a step back and look at it, it's like, this is not, this was not a good plan. And it, it never started out that way, right? It's like the first yeah. restaurant was, you know, someone who made a great insert dish and mm-hmm. started making it for themselves and and you know we talk about you know the birth of this nation you have immigrants and people who are like this is their trade yeah. they can make it good whatever and so they're going to start selling it and that's how they're going to feed their family and then it just kind of mushroom from there i don't know if at any time prior to where we're at right now the, the restaurant industry really took a step back and looked at itself and said, is 5% profit, is that, that's a smart idea? Like, that seems crazy why can't we do it another way? And so when you come into the situation where things are being done a particular way, just because mm-hmm. that's the way that they've been done and people are very attached to that way because that's the way they came up. That's the way they've learned. That's the way it's always been done and blah, 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 XYZ chef or restaurateur is a bazillion you know, a right. Michelin star or blah, blah, blah. It's like, this is how you do it. And so I don't know that there's ever really been a time where we said, but is that, is that the workable, like, is this the best way to do it? Is there another way to do this? And so for me, I feel like that's when the plus of me being an outsider really benefits me because I come into it from a, a marketing background. My very first question with anyone, no matter what kind of business you're starting, my first question is always who is your customer and everyone is not a customer. A customer is an actual metric adults, 18 to 54 that make $75,000 a year. That's a customer, not like people who eat salad. That's not a customer. And so, because you know that, so that's the way I, that's how my knowledge came in. That's what you learn, you know, when you study business and marketing is that this is how customers work. And so that's true no matter what product you serve. And I agree with you. I think it is a huge disservice to this industry that that is not something that is ever taught because at the end of the day, it's not really about whether, it's not always about, I should say, whether or not your dish, drink, food product is, the yummiest thing out there. Mm -hmm. It's really is your brand in the right position to be seen and attracted by the right customer base to make it profitable. And so that's, that to me is what it all boils down to. And so I, I'm very excited about like, gosh, I hope, you know, this industry starts to see that because when I feel like when we see that, when we look at it that way, it definitely changes things. I feel like, you know, in this industry, especially when you're an independent restaurant, you know, everyone's afraid of someone doing what they do or, or stealing their idea or what have yeah. you, but you know, the thing I always say to that is like, and how many burger chains are there? Like, do you think <laughs> that, I mean, seriously, how you many know,
0: barbecue spots are there, how many barbecue <laughs> like I you can't know? feed
1: everyone when we, and so I, I closed baby, I opened baby greens originally in 2004, we closed in 2009. And so when we reopened, um, I remember I was getting interviewed, um, and the, the reporter said there was something like. 20 salad restaurants on on deck to open up in Austin, like in a, in a 12 month period. Oh, and wow. so that, you know, I was like, that's a whole lot of lettuce, dude. And so <laughs> he said, you know, um, how, how do you feel about that? Like, does that make you nervous? I said, you want to know what my response to that is? Man, it feels good to be right. Because that is just telling wow. me that I was right. I'm not afraid of that because that just lets me know that there are more people that are going to be introducing the type of food that I sell to more customers. Just in Austin, in the Austin metro area, there are millions of people. I couldn't feed them all even if I wanted to. But if yeah. there's other brands out there that are selling salads, that just means that salad is on the radar it's of more people. Option then if it's just me, if it's just me, then it's, it's like when my best friend's looking at me, like I'm a crazy person. Cause I said, I'm going to paint a truck green and I'm <laughs> going to sell salads out of it. Like when it's just me, then I'm, I'm the, the outsider. You yeah. Know? I'm, I'm the yeah. person who doesn't make any sense, but when it's 20 people, then it's like, oh yeah, this is a real thing. So when that happened and, and the reporter kind of looked, I was like, but that's how business works. Like, competition always makes a brand better. It always makes you have to be harder on your game, but it also just means that more people know about your product. And so more people are going to be into it. And so I feel like that kind of thing is not the thing that in this industry, that's not, that's not a part of our foundation. There's very much in you know, and the mise en place and all the things that go into the preparation of food, which obviously is very important, and the turning of tables and, you know, the moving of people and products in and out of a space. I mean, obviously, these are very foundational things that are important to the success of the restaurant industry. But that other part of it of saying, you know, what is marketing? And marketing isn't like, having a social media account, you know, Mm -hmm. talking about marketing we talk about buyer behavior, who are your customers? Why do they come to you versus going across the street? I'm at a, I'm at a place right now where there's like a McDonald's across the street. There's a Wendy's next to me. There is a Burger King around the block and a little bit further up is a P Terry's. And I will tell you with confidence from a marketing perspective, those, those four brands probably don't really share customers, even though they all sell the same things. The people that go to that restaurant are not necessarily going there for the same things. So on some level, they're not really in competition because someone who eats at Wendy's is eating at Wendy's because they like the whatever's happening over at Wendy's. And McDonald's is not going to lure them across the street unless they have some special burger that no one else has. They have a good deal or something at Wendy's is broken. People who go to P. Terry's, they're going to P. Terry's because they like what P. Terry's has to offer and would probably only go to a McDonald's if McDonald's was the only option available to them. And so that's what it means to be a brand. That means people, your people have found you and they want you and they're not going to be lured away by the competition, quote unquote, because what you do, what you have, what you serve is unique to you and and it tastes good to them. It's and that's like just like that's business 101. This is
0: I this is I mean I feel like I'm learning a lot right right now and what I think is is so brilliant when you're breaking down the idea of branding is you are you are essentially your a brand is a community but it, it almost sounds like where um, people people who identify themselves as a Wendy's person or a P Terry's person that is in a way a sub community and so. I find that really interesting Um, and it, and it makes a lot of sense of, of why you would have the confidence because you you've understood this idea, the idea of what branding is and that not being quote unquote, like, you know, just an Instagram account or or whatever people kind of break it down to, to make it now. Um, But it, it really is the idea that you know, that you are a fully realized um, identity. Baby Greens is a fully realized identity. And therefore, you can kind of be assured that other people, especially with when the data holds up, that other people identify as Baby Greens people. Does, the, does that kind of then help you kind of identify what, who your regulars would be? Um, and, it, and it obviously would maybe play a part in like where your you know future locations would be and that sort of thing?
1: Absolutely. I mean, when we were when I was talking, you know, when I built the baby greens that we had on on Anderson Lane. And mm-hmm. so, you know, meeting with our architects and we're talking about, you know, what's it gonna look like, what's the feel and all that. And I told them, I said, I want it to be nice, but I don't want it to be too nice. And they mm-hmm. just kind of looked at me and I said, I want a a dude in a work truck to know that he could come here too. So it can't look too nice. It's It has to look welcoming to yeah. everyone. I want it to look nice and welcoming and a place that you want to go to. But my customers are fast food customers, so it needs to look welcoming to a fast food customer. It's a new kind of spin on this. We definitely are, are an elevated product in the yeah. fast food game, but mm-hmm. we're still trying to get fast food customers. And so our customer base is one part, you know, just traditional fast food customers, one part people who eat healthy, who have been dying to go to a fast food restaurant forever because they have a fast food lifestyle and that, right. that they don't have a lot of time for lunch. And so, you know, when you kind of Move between these two spaces, you really have to think about what is the customer experience of this. And I'm saying, like, you know, I want everyone to feel welcome here. And that's so as to say that, you know, if we're a fast food restaurant, then that means on some level, I want to pull the people who are at Wendy's and like, I'm not going to Wendy's. I want to go to baby greens. I'm not Mm -hmm. going to McDonald's. I want to go to baby greens. And so to say that we seem approachable and attainable in the same way those other restaurants do, but then we also have our brand, which is very bright and fun and upbeat and all of these things. And so, you know, really kind of understanding those two parts of it and, and then building, you know, building things, of course. So even like when we, when we have our menu,
0: mm-hmm.
1: when I was, you know, we, so like, I think May is, is national salad month. You know, every month is a food month. And so I said, okay, we're going to have an, a new salad every week. And by the second week, I was like, this is not connecting with people. I was like, these salads are too bougie. Like, it's just not the kind of thing that people that fast food customers want to eat. I have like, I'm thinking too much of a person who want who is a salad eater, but mm-hmm. I'm not thinking enough about a person who is a fast food customer. And so, you know, for me, I, I kind of have to always go between those two spaces to say, I want to, you know, I want to make something we salad restaurant. But people that come here, there are a lot of people that come here that I promise you would not describe themselves as a salad lover. Like my favorite customer, I love dudes in work trucks that come through baby greens. The very first baby greens, my favorite customer was this guy that he had this like enormous candy apple red SUV with spinners. (laughs) And I'm not kidding when I say this man had like two teardrop tattoos on his face. Yeah, I was like, he loved it. I mean, he and I was just so like, I want to know what this guy does. I mean, like, I don't, but I do want to know what (laughs) he's doing when he's not here. I mean, it's just like the when that guy came through, and you know, of course, he's not a talker, like, he's very low key, very chill, or whatever. But to me, I'm like, when that guy came through, I was like, I know that I'm on the right path because that guy, I can't even imagine what went through his mind to say, I'm going to go to a restaurant called Baby Greens, and it's a salad spot. Truly. Uh, And this this is incredible to hear. And so that to me is like, that's how I measure my success, you know, to say like when the people that would not think of themselves as salad people come to the realization that in fact they are salad people that it's not people who like rabbit food. It's not just, you know, this uber healthy people. It's just like you want something delicious to eat to go. And that's what we have here. And so I think that really kind of understanding that is a part of this industry that I feel like should so much more time should be spent on that to say really connecting with your customers because connecting with your customers goes beyond table touches. You know, it goes beyond, yeah. you know, friendly service and, and food that is beautiful and all that because, yes, I mean, obviously those things are great. But the thing I also say can, on the other side of that coin is how many people do you think that are are waiting in line at McDonald's, which is a hugely successful brand? how many table touches do those guys, you know what I'm saying? Like (laughs) how many times do those guys get like a great big smile? I mean, I always do
0: they meet Ronald McDonald. You're saying
1: exactly. (laughs) And so it's like, they're not even going there for that. That's not even on their radar. And I would say that's true for most fast food restaurants in the game. And so it's not that those things aren't important, but they're not the most important thing. And so, I mean, of course, every dining category has its, its different, you know, the thing that's most important, you know, for fine dining, of course, consistency is not the same as it is in fast food, obviously. But the point that I'm making is that it's your brand and understanding your customer. And even as I'm like working on, working on a virtual brand to launch, like this is the part of it that I'm still kind of nailing down is to say you know who are these people that are going to come here and and how are they going to like what are they what's their motivation going to be like how are they going to feel about what is their expectation you know knowing your customer means like how often is this person going to come through your door what are they going to expect when they come through your door how much money are they going to want to spend to feel like that was a good value and really understanding that honestly i feel like you should know that before you put your menu together, because knowing that information <laughs> also determines what your menu is, not the other way around.
0: Um, so, I really want to first get a, a great definition of virtual branding. Um, so this is something, this is an idea that you're working on. Um, but I, me alongside, I'm sure, a bunch of listeners When you say virtual brand, what is the difference between a virtual brand um, and Baby Greens currently? Um, And if you can just kind of educate us a little bit here.
1: Sure. So a virtual brand, a virtual restaurant, you could sometimes hear it as a ghost restaurant. Mm -hmm. It's basically a, a restaurant that doesn't have a physical location it only exists on the interwebs and so you know you see a lot of this happening now in the pandemic where people have extra capacity in their restaurant so whether it is you know their their customer um, numbers have slowed down or the kind of food that they serve, you know, it's maybe it's fallen out of favor because there have been differences in dining trends during mm-hmm. this pandemic. So people are basically saying, you know, a virtual brand is a restaurant separate from the one that you have. So there are they're businesses that can have five. In fact, Chick fil A has five virtual restaurants that they're working Really? In what? yeah, this is how prolific virtual brands have become. Like, this is not just some weird stuff. Literally Chick-fil-A has five virtual brands that they're going to roll out. And all of them are on some level attached to chicken because of course that's their main Mm -hmm. thing. But they're basically like food that they will serve that would not align with their brand. So for us, you know, we're a salad restaurant. So, you know. We served like if we served sandwiches and but we like came up with some, you know, other name for it, you know, Earl of Sandwich, whatever the hell. Mm-hmm. And and it's available on Uber Eats, DoorDash, Grubhub. It's available on all the third parties, and we have our own online order platform. And so if you're a customer and you're on one of these platforms or you're just online, you're ordering the food. It's going to come to you. Um, so it's going to be delivered to you. Some restaurants are will have like a pickup window. And we will likely also have a pickup window as well. So mm-hmm. that way, um, I just don't like my customers having to pay all those fees. And so we'll also, because we have the capacity to do that, we will likely also have a, a, a pickup window. But you basically be coming to a Baby Greens to pick up a food that is nothing that we serve at all in on the baby greens menu, and it will have a totally different name. And so virtual ghost kitchens were something that pre-pandemic were, were seen more in like New York and LA, mm-hmm. Chicago, especially in a place like New York where real estate is in very high demand. And so, you know, maybe you're a restaurant that you have a killer dinner rush but your lunch sucks so you just create this other brand and you run it on all of the the third party delivery platforms you're doing deliveries maybe your lunch only now the the game of course you know the the bigger brands have gotten into it so now there are virtual brands out there that are literally only exist virtually and you so if you had a restaurant you could pay to make their food and so they've already got a platform so they might already have you know a brand that exists so they have their own marketing and they will show up on all of the the virtual platforms on on the Uber Eats and stuff like that and so like um like Guy Fieri has one like a Mm -hmm. lot of celebrity chefs Mariah Carey has a cookie thing it's a whole crazy world wow and so yeah it's a it's a whole thing. And so the main thing of it is is that One of the reasons why this is happening is that, of course, you know, in this industry with the pandemic really brought the restaurant industry to its knees. And so a lot of people are just trying to figure out, like, how do we get more customers in? You know, Mm -hmm. you had restaurants that were not able to do anything. There were a lot of restaurants that their food didn't translate into takeaway or delivery. And so they needed something. And so that's kind of how that's how the the idea of a virtual brand began to spread. And so now, you know, this is an industry that is projected to do like 14 billion in revenue by 2030, which is in eight years. I mean, so that's like how quickly this is spreading because, you know, and now you also have established brands that have their own restaurants and they're they are basically expanding via virtual kitchen as opposed to um, like franchising. So you have less overhead. Yeah. Less overhead. And then you have companies like Reef Kitchen or Ghost Kitchen. So you have these other companies that what they do are Ghost Kitchen. So I believe it's Reef. Reef Kitchen is a, a large player in that game. And so you have... I believe Burger King is expanding through them into other countries. And so in that regard, you don't have to go through the whole, um, all of the steps that are attached into a franchise. A franchise is definitely a very evolved business relationship. This is more license agreement. And it's like, you know, if it doesn't work out. You just kind of pull your license and that's the end of it. But in that situation, you have basically – a restaurant facility with no concept attached to it so it fills itself with all of these other concepts but it's basically just a space where customers do not come in to sit down and eat so that traditional way of restaurants that is not a part of the virtual brand
0: so when we're talking about virtual brands and this is something that you would be you know very much interested in 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 working and um you are currently and you know an independent restaurateur you you source really well you have so much integrity in your food you are fast food but you are like we've both stated you know you're, you're cut above your making elevated food when it comes to virtual branding and you're saying that there's already these huge players, you know, people that have big fast food names, how, how can you keep up with the competition or is it just sort of apples to oranges here?
1: Well, for me, the concept I'm working on is in true Sharon Mays fashion, very different from what the big players are doing. So the big <laughs> players are doing the things that are, you know, the money shot, right? The chicken yeah. wings, the burgers, the right. all of that kind of stuff that you're going to make money doing that especially if you put some celebrity's name to it. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, that's good and fine. But to me, you know, again, I'm rooted in that marketing side of things. So my, when I look at the landscape, I say, what are the holes? You know what I mean? I'm yeah. not going to do a burger concept because number one, I don't, I'm, I'm not a master of that game. So I look around and say, what are the capabilities that I have From the person who's going to be creating the recipes and then also what are the what are the food products that i could come up with to delight a customer base to say you know we don't want to be one more wing place you know but then also when you talk about sourcing you know we are having these supply chain issues so that to me is the new thing to think about like okay i need to come up with something that i know i can always get this that I don't, I don't want to come up with a food, with a, a concept that has ingredients that are, you know, volatile and pricing or lend themselves to shortages or things like that. I want to I hedge my bets. So I'm going to come up with something that a lot of people aren't doing. And so there's a way to come out and really make a big splash And do it from a kind of fast food to go situation, but know that this is a product that I feel very secure in my ability to come up with a menu and recipes that are going to delight my customers. Because even though it's not going to be baby greens, it will be baby greens adjacent. And so Mm -hmm. it needs to have that same caliber of customer experience so that it's not like, wow, this food is really crappy. I can't believe that baby, yeah, greens, baby greens is part anymore. of this. You know? And so that's, it's that part of it. But for me also, you know, I, I have, over the years developed a bunch of different restaurant ideas. And I'm like, you know, I would love to develop restaurant ideas. I'm more into coming up with a concept than I am with the building of a restaurant chain mm-hmm. or even building of a restaurant brand. And so the part that I'm intrigued about is not only, you know, kind of shoring up our revenue stream, um, but also gives me a chance to test out some, you know, new restaurant concepts to say like, I wonder if this thing has legs because that is one of the the great things about the pandemic is like, if it doesn't work, you just be like, oh, Corona, you know, oh, we're doing that and it's Corona, it didn't work out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Corona's um, the for everything. Oh, that Rona, you know.
0: That Rona, honestly, who hasn't used Corona at this point to, exactly. to sometimes massage the truth a little bit? Here, exactly. there, you know um, you definitely um, essentially kind of closed out this interview for me because you're just you're, you're kind of an all-star so thank you for being the all-star that is you because um, typically I end this with asking what your future plans are but I love that you know I, I feel like me and the and the rest of the sick palette listeners know where your head is at and I love that. For innovation to exist, you're you're totally open to pivoting and and constantly readjusting um, where you are at, where your business is at. Um, but before we close out, I wanted to um, give you give you an opportunity to plug some some stuff for Baby Greens or whatever else you've got coming up, um, and where people can find you, IG wise.
1: Absolutely. So me personally can be found on all the socials at Miss Sharon Mays, M-A-Y-S Mays. And then of course, baby greens is eat baby greens um, on all the social channels. And I would say, you know, the thing that I'm working on is on some level, the thing I've always been working on, which is just kind of coming up with new and interesting things to do, but Mm -hmm. also you know, the thing that keeps me going on days where I am depleted, and let me tell you, there are many days I'm <laughs> depleted. I'm just, I'm very attached to kind of blazing this trail and and hoping to maybe, you know, make this path a little bit easier for all the women and minorities that are going to come behind me because, you know, I feel like we don't get enough attention or credit for innovating and you know back to to anyone out there but to me i'm not talking about like a nouveau southern cuisine you know what i'm saying
0: (laughs) wow shots fired
1: (laughs) well you know because it's one of those things of saying that um this uh, this is a story i will have to tell you offline because it's pretty hilarious but the punchline of it, it. is that I was going to get um, some surgery and the doctor is talking to me beforehand. He has horrible bedside manner. And so he says, you know, he's trying to make small talk and he's definitely not interested. And so he says, so what do you do for a living? And I said, I own a restaurant. And it is the first time this man looks up at me and his face lights up and he says, Oh my gosh, do you serve soul food? I love oh fried chicken. <laughs> it's just like, I was like, "Am I being punked right now?"
0: Absolutely.
1: And so so I'm just like, "I can't believe this man's about to like open me up. Like, this is a bad idea." And so I said, "I said no. um, Actually, my restaurants are salads." And the part that was, I mean, almost comical to me was the look on his face when I said, "I serve salads." Like, do you know that you're black? But the point of that is, is that, why couldn't it be me, you know? Like maybe me and people who look like me have more to offer than what we have been told to expect. And there's nothing wrong with that. I love soul food too. I'm from the South, you know? But I'm just saying like, there are more colors to paint with on our palette. And I want very much for people to not be surprised anymore that the woman who started a drive-through salad restaurant looks like me.
0: I think you've I named this episode.
1: To, you know, I, I want people yeah. to, to, at any of us, look, i someone met you and whatever, whatever it is, whatever it is you're doing, No one would be surprised, be it the most amazing Indian food I've ever had in my entire life, or be it something completely different. I I want a world where no one is surprised by that.
0: Why can't it be me? Yeah. Why can't
1: it be me? You know, it's just like, I'm talented. I have something to give. And so on the days when I'm just like, oh, it's so rough. I could definitely go work for someone else and make more money and have a whole lot less to worry about. But I'm very committed on trying to clear this path a little bit because we all have something to give. And I want want that to not be so special. I don't wanna be so special one of the reasons why I'm so special is because no one expects it to be me. I don't want to be special anymore. I want to be just like, oh yeah, it's that chick. Cool. And no one be surprised by it, other than my amazing personality, obviously.
0: Yeah, I was about to say <laughs> unfortunately, Sharon, no matter what you will be very special, but that is a, a that is because you are. You are one of a kind. Um thank you so much for doing this i cannot wait to see you um so a little bit behind the scenes y'all we're uh we're talking uh right before the next sick Palette supper club so this is a week before this is going to drop um so i am going to be able to see sharon in two months i haven't seen her so i'm so excited to catch up um and talk about all the things that we can't talk about on a podcast Um, absolutely (laughs) a glass of wine in our hands so I'm looking forward to it um Sharon Mays you are so special and I cannot wait to see all the things you do that will make other people not as special in a very good way you are the best
1: well thank you for having me I appreciate it